Hello, welcome back to the Table Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Phil. I'm with Pastor Megan. This is episode 120 of the Table Church Podcast. I can't believe it. Yes. Um, COVID has just given us the opportunity to just dish out <laughs> podcasts, apparently. And um, that's one of the ways that we've uh, just decided to, you know, spend our time. Spend our days. Yeah. And, and hopefully some of you have found them meaningful. We know that a lot of you have. So thanks for those of you who are listening. Um, and I think that this is this, we're in a series right now in our podcast that hopefully is um, is really helpful to to many of you. It's called Practicing Victory, and we're talking about something that, quite frankly, doesn't get talked about very often. Probably should get talked about more. When it does get talked about, sometimes it gets weird, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to walk that delicate balance. And mm-hmm. um, and anyway, we're talking about spiritual warfare. So if you missed last uh, last week's, go back and take a listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today is Practicing Victory part two. Um, and so there's, we believe that there's forces at work in the world, in the universe. Um, they don't want us to succeed in living the good life. They don't want us to have a life with God. They don't want us to be holy. Um, and this, these forces, and we will call them evil. We'll call them the devil. We'll call them Satan. Um, they're going to do things that often are subtle and Mm -hmm. it's good for us to be aware of the ways that the enemy tries to um, derail us from living a life pursuing God and pursuing love. So we don't want to ignore it because mm-hmm. it's real and um, it has all sorts of impacts on our life. And Megan and I, before we hit record, we were just talking about some of the funny ways that um, the church, people who supposedly believe that there is this battle happening um, can, uh, I don't know what the word would be, forget or twist it or obscure it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was recently, um, you might remember this. It's going to sound like I'm about to get political, but I'm not. Just like clutch your pearls and yeah. wait. <laughs> we'll get through it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know, we're not afraid to get a little political if we have to. Yeah, because it's Jesus happened. is... The gospel is political. political. So yeah. it is, is necessary sometimes. But... Um, Anyway, you may remember some doctors in white lab coats, doctor coats. I don't know what they're called. What do they call the coats <laughs> they that they like wear? They're like official doctor coats. Doctor coats. They were white. They're all like standing they were on them. TV. Yeah. So they all stood and they stood outside of either the White House or the Capitol. I don't remember which. Um, in their white coats and basically said a bunch of stuff that I don't even remember what they said. But it was more, you know, it was along the lines of the right wing um, Trump aligned you know, narrative that we're hearing as far as coronavirus goes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This isn't a comment on any of that. It's nope. just, that's what happened. We're just all right? context mm-hmm. yes. for what's coming next. Yeah. yeah. And one of those doctors um, was an African woman. She's practicing here in the States now, but she's from Africa. And uh, she didn't say this, I don't think when they filmed that video, but, but she has a blog where she talks about how many of the ailments that the physical, like the, you know, bodily ailments that we deal with today are the result of demons. And, um, well, people found that and I mean, Twitter, social media just went bonkers Mm -hmm. because here's this doctor, you know, standing in front of the white house, trying to tell America what to do during COVID. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is what she believes. She believes that like, she did not say this on TV or anything like that. It's just something she said once Mm -hmm. on her blog. Right. Yeah. Maybe not once. I don't know how many times she said it. Well, sure. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so Twitter went berserk about it, of course, because you can about imagine, okay, now we have a doctor who's saying that we get sick because demons. And um, we want to hit the pause button because 
there was a there was a theologian that I follow. Um, her name is Cheryl Bridges John. She's a Pentecostal theologian, and she made what I thought she put to words something that I was feeling. She said, she said, I'm not going to dismiss this woman's worldview. In fact, Megan and I know we've been to Africa many times. Mm-hmm. We've traveled a lot outside of our culture. Yeah. Um, there's just like the worldview is that there are things you can't see that mm-hmm. happen and that can have an mm-hmm. impact on our world, on mm-hmm. the things that you can see. Um, and so basically as people were going bonkers with what this woman wrote on her blog, um, they're repudiating a worldview that I think maybe the majority of the world holds. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of things to that, right? Like Christian Twitter was all upset about this mm-hmm. <laughs> here in America, but there are large, large portions of the world where people wouldn't even need to debate whether or not mm-hmm. there are dark forces at work right. impacting us, Christian or not. That can cause sickness even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the, I've said this before, we have to abandon the idea that to say that one thing is true, it means nothing else is true also. Mm-hmm. And so just because someone is stating that evil can be present or have an impact on your physical, emotional, you know, spiritual health, that doesn't mean that there aren't also many other contributors. Right. It's not to say like blame the devil for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, we're saying if you're a Christian, like you have to wrestle with this is part of your faith. Yeah. You know, that the, this reality is part of what you profess. And um, and anyway, this theologian, Cheryl Bridges John, she said basically, I, you know, I'm not going to repudiate. I affirm the African worldview mm-hmm. uh, that this woman holds. She just says, I would like to help her out with her theology a bit. And she mm-hmm. actually invited her to become a student at her seminary. Yeah, she's a doctor, not yeah. a theologian. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, the worldview... Um, like that, that's, I think there's a lot probably closer to the New Testament worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, her theology was mis- was lacking mm-hmm. um, in some of the things that she said. Like, let's ask what Jesus has to say about this, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, I would, Phil and I would say that our theology about evil and warfare and all of that was significantly changed by time that we spent in Africa. Totally. Learning from, you know, people who know much more about it than we do experiencing things all of that so i mean i every minute of my life is significantly transformed by things that i learned about spiritual warfare from african friends Mm -hmm. so um and to push farther into that um it wasn't just things that we learned it was things that we saw and experienced Mm -hmm. and that's really what changes you know and that's actually kind of getting to what we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. um It's things that we saw and experienced not only in Africa, but then subsequently when we came home. Yeah. Suddenly, after experiencing and seeing these things in Africa, we came home and saw and experienced the same things here. Right. That we'd never quite seen before in that Mm way. So We're not going to share the details on the podcast. But But, uh, all that to say, like, we're not just saying, like, hey, this is an idea we might accept. Like, Mm -hmm. this is true. I mean, it's just we really believe this stuff is real because we've experienced it. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why it means so much. So the like the modern Western mindset is going to push back pretty hard against this kind of thing. And um, and I recognize the tension that exists with, you know, science is real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we have some significant discoveries that have just peeled back what people used to think were caused by, yeah. you know, like spiritual forces. Like we're so forces. into science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> like my, my message... In fact, next year, we're hopefully going to do a sermon series on science and faith. Like, I think that Christians should be 
way more affirming of science. We, mm-hmm. we tend to have this weird relationship with science, you know. Um, yeah. There's nothing to be scared of, people. I think our young people should be going into the sciences more than they are. I wish they were. I think churches yeah. should start doing, we do like call to ministry, you know. Mm-hmm. Like who wants to accept the call to ministry? We should like have like calls to science mm-hmm. for our young people. Um, because we've had this weird relationship where we're like scared of it. And I want to repudiate that. I want to rebuke that with all I can. There's nothing to be afraid of. Because everything that you, like the whole point of science is to uncover how things work, how things are connected, you know, to, to discover like the finest details about the world and how all that works and what that means for us. And, you know, all of that, all of that as a believer, there's nothing to fear because it just makes everything come together more clearly so but it's um, just that it doesn't it doesn't deal with everything Mm -hmm. in reality you know Mm -hmm. it deals with part of reality but not all yeah and so the problem is when we start to say like science is the truth and everything we learn that's observable is the only thing to depend on and we would say our our experience as lived human beings Mm -hmm. is more multifaceted than that right so yep all right (laughs) well that was our intro (laughs) Um, so the, I guess <laughs> Megan, help us, um, help us know where we're going now. Cause we're going back okay. to the early church to talk about how they saw these things very clearly. Yeah. So we're going to rewind 2000 years and go back to the early church. So let's just talk about the period of time in about the first 300 years after, uh, Jesus resurrected. So, um, if you go back that far, one thing that we see is there was this very clear, concept for people who are walking in the way for people who are following jesus um that that they weren't adopting a belief system but that they were completely um repenting of an old way of living turning around and accepting an entirely new way of living so walking that's why they're called you know people of the way they're walking in the way of jesus and so the focus for early Christians was not on this moment of conversion. Like we think of it now, like, are you saved or not? Like, are you, are, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you accept that gift? You know, like we talk about that stuff a lot and that matters. But for them, the focus wasn't so much on a moment of conversion. It was on the conversion of a life. So it's not a moment, it's a way. It's not a moment, it's a way. So it's focus, not like you're, 100, you're 0% yeah, in one moment, exactly. and then five minutes later, you're 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast There's a before. crisis moment, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's not like you're done then. That is not what yeah. they were focusing on. Mm-hmm. So to them, um, what they lived was this concept of like, you are either in the way of Jesus or you're not. And it's proven by what you do with your life. So the focus wasn't on whether or not you believed in Jesus, but whether or not you lived like Jesus. So mm-hmm. belief in who he was and what he did is inherent in that, but it's not the point. Let That's me, not it. Yes. Let me talk about that because this is actually, I wrote a master's thesis that kind of deals with this. I knew this was like bait. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going <laughs> to. So this whole distinction between like what you do and what you believe, right? Which we wrestle with today as moderns. The reason is because we've separated our body from our mind. And this goes back to like Rene Descartes, the French philosopher. I think, therefore I am. Therefore, locating your yourself and your thinking and your thought. Um, anyway, it's a whole thing. But uh, the the ancients, when they think of the word believe, you know, for us, when I hear the word believe, well, that means like mentally agreeing to something, okay? Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Yes, I agree. Check. I believe mm-hmm. it. 
Um, but actually belief for the ancients, and I would argue that a coherent account of belief would be this as well for us today, mm-hmm. um, is more of what we might call a dispositional, a disposition. So a disposition is like a propensity to act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, if I believe it's going to rain, but I go outside without an umbrella, then you would logically question whether I really believed it mm-hmm. because my disposition is not in alignment with what I'm saying I believe. And whatever I say, even whatever I might think that I think, really doesn't matter compared to my action, my disposition. So a belief is a propensity to act in a certain way, um, not just something that you think in your mind. It's a fully embodied event, not just a mental cognitive moment or belief, Mm -hmm. or sorry, not belief, but uh, Mm -hmm. event, I guess. Um, and so to say that I believe in, you know, that Jesus is the savior means absolutely nothing like literally unless Mm -hmm. it aligns with my life. Yeah. You can say you have adopted this thought, but until it's lived, you know, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. Can I do that? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Nice. So the bottom line is that we think that if you agree to something in your mind, that's Mm -hmm. belief. Mm -hmm. And I say, nah. It yeah. Uh, yeah. Belief has always been understood as best expressed via your embodiment, your mm-hmm. actions, the ways that you live. Um, hence the way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Christianity called itself. Yep. And that's what we're talking about when we say that following Jesus should be an easy yoke. It's not that it's easy life. It's not easy living, but there's an ease to it because you just simply are saying, this is true, so I must live mm-hmm. this way. And you don't have all those constant forces and fights back and forth inside of you where you're trying to do something that is opposite or contrary to what you actually believe. <laughs> like if you actually believe he's the way you walk in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's easy, but it's easier than trying to walk in a way you don't actually want to go. So we're, we're trying to like bring together what has been torn asunder for hundreds of years, which mm-hmm. is like action and belief And Protestantism mm-hmm. has been the culprit. I mean, we say you're saved by grace not by works you know Mm -hmm. and so like now like doing things for god is bad (laughs) and a lot Mm -hmm. is i mean that's obviously a very crude way of putting it but i think implicitly that's kind of what we've taught Mm -hmm. and what we kind of think doing things bad just kind of sitting still and believing that god has saved you good Mm -hmm. Um, but then again feel guilty constantly about not doing (laughs) enough good stuff for god for the wrong reasons and obviously when you read the new testament that's not at all right what what seems to be going on at mm-hmm. least not in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. some would probably dispute it. but So obviously, this is all a bigger conversation. But I think y'all can see what we're talking about. Essentially, the very earliest people who followed Jesus would not have even thought to have a conversation about, you know, just thinking. Simply what you think. <laughs> that That is not how... They thought it's just not how they saw the world. And so Christianity from its very beginning was always a way of life. It was a way of life following Jesus. So you have an actual master, you follow him. So truth um, truth is lived mm -hmm. basically is what they understood. Yeah. And so um, one thing I think is really interesting is if you look at the earliest ways that Christians sort of organized themselves, um, you know, at first it was you, well, maybe you mention you know, Acts 2 church kind of stuff a lot of times, but we don't usually talk about much after that. Like 
after things were just entirely new, like how did we organize ourselves? How did we like create these networks of underground, you know, gatherings and all these things? How did that happen? Um, so there's a few different um, clear um, moments in church history. Um, but from the earliest ones, as you see Christians starting to organize, you can see there really wasn't a lot of focus on how to grow the church by attracting people to Christianity. How to make a website. Yeah, they didn't have to do that because, like we said, um, it was all about living in a way. Like it, the point wasn't to go evangelize people. It was to live in a way. And then that intrinsically involves um, there's something in it that other people would see, be attracted to, and then try to figure out why you were the way that you were, mm. you know? So um, evangelism was absolutely included. The church was growing exponentially, but it wasn't that they were focusing on, how can we get more people to follow this? Because how, who would ever ask, how can we get more people to want to live in fear constantly for their lives and the lives of their children, right. to worry about losing their job, mm -hmm. you know, to worry about being... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> martyred or you know mm. sent away go to prison um that was not a question they were asking right they were just living in the way because it was right because it was good is they're saying this is the true way to yeah. live and they were showing it mm -hmm. exactly so people usually heard about jesus after they had seen jesus alive in his followers that's how it happened. So much of what the church did, it's in secret, it's in homes, it's under the surface of society, very subversive. And so there were a lot of layers to move through if you were a person who kind of got into this network and you thought, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be in this way. I want to live this way. If you wanted to officially become a member of the church to get baptized, brought into the church, to bring your family into the church, there was a really significant amount of teaching, um, a really clear process that the church uh, eventually evolves into uh, to bring people in. And there's many of them, but there's some that we have some really good documentation about. So, all right. So by about the year 280 in Rome, we see this really well-defined order for the church for how the body is going to function and how people enter into it. It's called the apostolic tradition. So um, new official converts were adults. So they were adults who went through a pretty rigorous process of private teaching <laughs> before they're introduced to the wider church family and baptized. And then upon baptism, their entire family can get baptized as well. But so just think of that. This is for adults. This is for adults. So it's this amazing process, um, very detailed. If you want to get an introduction to it, Alan Kreider's book, The Patient Furman of the Early Church, is a really, really great resource to learn just about how the early church functioned. It has a lot to say about today. So, so there's let's a just, little book. Let me rehash real yes. quick. Um, like you didn't get to participate in all the things of the church until no. you had been trained up mm -hmm. or, um, well, catechized would yeah. be the word, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've gone through this this process of learning of the faith before you could be like fully involved in the body, mm -hmm. which of course is is wildly different from the way that we think today. Completely different, yeah. It's like, nah, come as you are and... Um, you know, mm -hmm. you want to help in the nursery? All right. And this is why, this is why Phil mentioned this earlier that there's this, you know, incredible 
you know, tear in the way that we think about our faith that we're trying to restore right now. Like for instance, with, you know, what we're doing with discipleship at table church, because for early believers, uh, first of all, they're in an environment where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. And so naturally there are going to be people who are going to be trying to find you out. You know, think of like all the books you ever read about, like the Holocaust and hiding Jews and all that stuff and how everyone was like very secretive and all that. So it's in an environment like that. So first of all, if someone says they want to be a believer, there's a process because Gotta make you, sure you're for real. Yeah, you're not gonna bring somebody into your house church yep. that you don't know for sure has mm-hmm. like gone through this process. Um so there's that, but then also because they really believe this is a way of life. You need to learn it so you can live it. So um, it was just all taken very seriously and very embodied, very practical. So we're, as we should do another podcast on that, yeah. we're, uh, we're, we're going to bring this around to spiritual warfare at some we point. Are, but, we are. We're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Um, anyway, I, I can say? sit on that for a while just because I, I just want to reflect on the differences between us <laughs> and us and them. I know. I know. Um, and, and I think there's things of the way that we do it now. Like I, I kind of made a quick comment a minute ago about, you know, we think come as you are and that's whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas they were like, no, you got to go to school before you can be yep. one of us. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not necessarily saying that ours is worse or better. I think that actually different, <laughs> vastly different contexts that call yep. for different approaches. Yeah. It was just kind of what I was yeah. getting to. Like there's reasons, there are multiple reasons why mm-hmm. this was this way, but we have so much to learn from it. There's a lot to learn because, yeah. because they really, like we keep going back to, they understood Christianity as a way of living that you need to be discipled into, mm-hmm. you know, that you need to, that you need to be apprenticed into. And um, it's not something you're just going to pick up one day, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, one of the big problems we have in the church, and I don't think this is controversial, I think anyone listening would say this, is that we have this big, huge open door that says, come as you are, like, you are a part of this family, you know, believe on Jesus. And our our uh, denomination has just started saying, belong then believe mm-hmm. like we, which I think is good, you know? Yeah. And like none of people these things, to belong. again, to say that one thing is, is good or questionable or whatever is never to exclude that other things are not also good or questionable. Mm-hmm. So, but the idea that like, we're just this huge open door, which is good. But then because we have lost this practice of catechism that we've lost this practice of saying, we we often in the church will call discipleship something that more serious believers get into, mm. whereas the early church saw it as what you started with. And so they built a foundation first and then lived it as they learned. And so that's really why we're so passionate about discipleship here at Table Church is because we've lost that. We've mm-hmm. lost that practice of deliberate learning. Um and we'll get into this a little bit. So there were, for the apostolic tradition itself, there's four stages. So the first one is you just encounter Christians. You just encounter Christians somehow, realize that's what they are. They're these followers of the way. And then you find a sponsor. So someone is just like working with someone who seems curiously different somehow, and they can't figure it out. And over time, they discover this person follows the way. Um, They get curious enough that they want to investigate this further. So they get hooked up with a sponsor in the church. Okay. So there's this obvious pathway correlation here. Like one of the, the first entry point is to get linked up. Correlation too. Yeah. (laughs) Because AA is like, it's, let's be honest, it's exactly. a phenomenal discipleship model. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you have one person who's in your actual everyday life 
from the church who now becomes your bridge basically Mm -hmm. into the way of Jesus and into the church larger. So, and then you move on like through that, that phase, you kind of officially become a candidate. Okay. You've got this sponsor. You're moving toward becoming an official candidate to become a baptized member of the church. So the second stage is the catechumenate. So the sponsor acts as this bridge between the candidate and the teachers of the way. So these are like who you'd consider like elders or like um, pastors, priests, whatever. These are going to be people who are going to be teaching specific things, um, helping bring light to scripture, um, teaching, you know, uh, everything related to the teachings of Jesus, how it relates to everything else, what that means for life. It's very specific. So there's all these teachers that they're going to learn from. Okay, so the sponsor is their bridge and they kind of bring them in to meet these like higher level teachers in the church for these very specific things. So what they wanted to do in this second phase was they wanted to know if the candidate was teachable and committed to following the way. So that's the whole point of this stage is to see like, can you hear the word and then modify your behavior? Are you willing to live your life in a way that is entirely new? Are you, are you, are you willing to do this to really actually change? Um, and so James K. Smith has a book called Imagining the Kingdom. There's mm-hmm. a lot about that in there and well, lots of other stuff he says. But so um, that's the whole point of this phase is to move from just having this person in your life from the church that you know who brings you in to like really understanding as you're learning these things, are you resistant to it or do you obey? Do you want to do this? Um, so when the sponsor observes legitimate lasting life change, then the person is approved to move on to stage three. And that's baptismal preparation. So in the weeks leading up to baptism, they hear the gospel. So that means they're just like teaching Jesus to these people over and over and over again. And as they do that, it's kind of almost like, I guess you could picture it like um, treating an infection. (laughs) So they really start to just like preach, preach, preach to these people. So this is where you separate from your sponsor more and are spending more time with teachers then phase into spending time with exorcists. <laughs> there it is, people. Yeah. So yes. in stage three, you move from, okay, you move from stage two from your sponsor to stage three with your teachers to um, the teachers kind of being done with their work with you. You've learned all these things and now you spend most of your time with exorcists who essentially are there to preach to you, preach truth to you. And as they do that, it's sort of like bringing in an infection up out of the body. So it's as they're hearing the word, as they're hearing all this preaching and teaching about Jesus, um, the actual agreements in their life, the old ways of, of practice, the old agreements that they have physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally to things of the old way. Um, things pre-Jesus, <laughs> pre-the way, mm-hmm. um, all of that stuff kind of gets like soaked up out of you through the power of the word. So that's what it's for. If you're going to get baptized, you go through this process. So um, 
it's hearing the word and cleansing yourself officially of old way agreements and pledges and ways of life and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they they assume just... that there's a spiritual component to yeah. your discipleship that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Like there's a yeah. there's a battle happening in you and, mm-hmm. and we got to deal with this. And there's a lot of documentation about this actually that's very um, legitimate where you can read quite a bit of what this actually looked like and it was legit. Like it was, um, and so it's, it's essentially, um, this very well-documented, um, situation in the early church where the thing you needed to do before you were truly ready to get baptized was to officially be exercised of all of the old agreements, spiritual things that you were tied to, um, that would prevent you from fully being able to just follow Jesus. And I exercised this morning. Yeah. Worked on my abs. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so Different I think kind of exercise. it is, but it's also not because the whole point of it is it's this process of applying holy confrontation mm-hmm. to yep. create health and growth, Yeah, which is everything that we talked about in the last couple of weeks. And so this wasn't like some sensational, you know, thing like you see in like a Hollywood movie that's just, you know, crazy. The point of this was to apply the the beauty and the truth of the gospel, which is good medicine. Mm-hmm. And then that just like brings out into the light, draws out into the light every evil thing that's still attached in you that God says, that's not good. Shouldn't right. be there. Um, so it's the power of the word to cleanse ourselves, not just mentally, but to actually you know, disembody ourselves from anything that's not of the way. So, so after all this stuff, then mm-hmm. finally we get to the point of yeah. baptism. You get baptized. <laughs> Only after all of this. And and this is this is the way of the early church around what, two uh-huh. hundred or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This like this specific mm-hmm. version of the apostolic tradition I'm talking about is from about like two hundred, two fifty ish. Gotcha. Yep. So only after all of this are you mm-hmm. baptized into the church. What yeah. a process. Mm-hmm. And and I think our point in all this is that uh, because they had such a clear understanding that there's darkness and there's light and we're mm-hmm. trying to we're trying to pull you into the light and that like the, the darkness doesn't let go easy, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to pretend, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we actually mm-hmm. want you to live in the light. Mm-hmm. So And we should mention um, before we move on we got a couple of questions we're going to answer but um, when they would get baptized, they would actually go into the water naked. Like you had to be completely naked. You get anointed with the oil of exorcism. That is what they called it. It was the oil of exorcism as you renounce Satan and choose the way of Jesus officially and say, I, I receive this belonging into the body of Christ, which is still how we do baptism yeah. today. Yeah. Some of you, if you've ever seen me do a baptism, you've heard I've got a little liturgy that I, that I, uh, that I recite or I ask the, the person being baptized to recite, do you turn from sin and darkness? Do you give your full allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? And by the power of God, do you endeavor to live a life of holy love? So that whole turning from sin and darkness is really inspired by what Megan's talking about here. The early church and things that I've read said that sometimes they would even face to the West, which is the land of darkness, right? When mm-hmm. the sun rises in the East. So the West is the land of darkness. They'd face the West, they'd rebuke the darkness, and then they'd turn towards the East and they would... Um, they would accept the way of truth and they'd be baptizing facing the east, the mm-hmm. way of the direction of light, I guess. And yeah. so there's there's all these kind of um, powerful symbols that are going on here uh, that just manifest this deeply held belief that there's darkness and there's light in this created order. Yeah. And we are the way of light. And so we have mm-hmm. to recognize that. We have to live as though it's true. Um, 
and we often today just kind of, I don't know, mumble along as though it's not. Yeah. And it's to our detriment when we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but all of this is to show, show you hopefully that, that they took it seriously. Yeah. I mean, it was just part of the worldview of just mm-hmm. a fact of reality for them. Yeah. And it wasn't just, it wasn't, they weren't approaching this with this position of like darkness and light, the need for exercising demons um, and agreements with evil out of someone's life. They weren't doing that because they thought it was a good idea. It was just simply what they had to do. Like mm-hmm. it just happened. They just had to deal with it, mm-hmm. um, which I would say is true of us too, Phil. Like any any way that we've engaged further and further into anything regarding spiritual warfare, we weren't closed off to it before, but it just became something right. that was just put in front of us that we must deal with. Yeah, when with it plops right down now. right in front of you, you have to respond. Yes, and, and then you learn, and then you become a person who's equipped for it, and then yeah. you seem to get put in all kinds of positions. Then it starts yeah. coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, So, but the whole point is that it's not just like they believed it so they figured out rules about it. It's that they had all these things happening and had to put order to it in order to handle it in the best way possible. So that's what they did. Yeah. Um, so the early church paid exorcists. <laughs> to help bring people into the body of Christ. All right. Catholics still do, I think. <laughs> they have like, doesn't the Vatican have an exorcist? They do have exorcists, yeah. yes, yes. I grew up Catholic. I could talk about that all day. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So we got a couple of questions here that people have asked um, in the past. So, and we're just kind of putting it all together into a couple of different answers. So, um, For this conversation, though, today, we're just going to position right off the bat that Satan is a real being who is in total opposition to God and that demonic forces do influence our world and our lives when they're able or invited to do so. We could talk about that more. If you have questions, let us know. But we're just going to say that's that's just the umbrella that we're under Mm -hmm. right now. And we think that that's inescapably biblical. We do. Mm -hmm. We do. And not only that, but it's also inescapably (laughs) our experience. Yes. Yes. Um, And we we would also position that all of these evil forces are real. Um, Their power is limited, but it is significant. It's limited, but significant. Significant, but limited. You can look at it either way you want to. Um, Not infinite. Yeah, it's not infinite. (laughs) So on, on one hand, their power is limited. Jesus you know, is the king, but they have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of significant Creates power. a whole lot of theological questions, a yeah. whole lot of weird things for us. Um, and we recognize that. And we, I mean, I have the questions myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like nobody believed that a man was going to come back from the dead. Like you, mm-hmm. you deal with what you've seen, you yeah. know, with what you've experienced. That's such a good way to put it. You just deal with what you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and this is what we've seen. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the early church, they had, they had to figure out, okay, how could Jesus be both God and man? That doesn't make sense. And they mm-hmm. had to hammer that out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what theology is. It's wrestling down these problems mm-hmm. that we see, uh, or, you know, aligning the kind of our, I guess, our like our, our logical brains with what we see before us. Mm-hmm. And I would say that very little in my life has corrected and enhanced and grown my theology more than my engagement with warfare because Mm -hmm. it's kind of through engaging in these like i've said before like holy confrontations like as you follow jesus you just put into these situations in the world where something is not good and god is calling you into what he's doing there um so as you do that 
it corrects your theology. It shows you the things that you've been believing that are half a truth or just an all out lie. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, it instantly makes you healthier and holier the more that you engage with this stuff because you just have to deal with what you see and you have to say, do I believe this or don't I? Yeah. So there's, there's more to talk that. about too. Like mm-hmm. and maybe we will, but I would also want to, I'd also want to talk about the ways that it, like it goes overboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically where it goes wrong is where we become speculative, not anchored to scripture, you know, in terms of what we believe to be the case about warfare. Yeah. Like anytime that somebody, <sighs> God just gave me this special knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of they, thing. There's all these beautiful checks and balances that you see biblically that help keep this from happening. But when those get out of balance, you'll see people who are looking for a spiritual show or mm. just curious about something, but not out of a deep love or honest search for Jesus yeah. or things like that. That's when things yeah, get it's, weird. What is it? Simon the Sorcerer and X. Yep. I don't know what it is, but yeah, this guy just sees the, the apostles doing some cool tricks. He's like, I want that. And they're like, Mm-hmm. not dude yeah that's a, that's the greek translation yeah <laughs> or what's the what's the verse where the, the demons are like we know who this paul guy is yeah like, we know jesus we know paul but we don't know that's the seven yeah. sons of Sceva. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah. and then they beat him up yes and so the demons are like we know jesus really well this yeah. paul guy we're really familiar with him but like What's Who are this? You? <laughs> you, you're nothing. So, Book of Acts, all sorts of fun stuff. In yeah. Acts. So anyway, we're gonna just position that that stuff is true. So, um, the first question, I think this is a really good one. <laughs> um, I've actually spent a lot of time writing and studying this. Um, it was something I just kept chasing while I was in seminary. But to put it very simply, if you're gonna a- answer this question, what is evil? What is evil? I remember one time I asked a professor, what's the difference between sin and evil? And this is probably one of the smartest people I've ever been in a room with ever, anywhere, ever, ever. He's very smart. Except for right now. Right. (laughs) Definitely. Just kidding. kidding. You Um, asked him, what's the difference between sin and evil? I asked him, what's the difference between sin and evil? And it stumped him. Stumped him. And this man like reads He's a theologian. I know who you're talking about. Casually. He's a theologian. Um, yes, he is a straight up theologian. And he was like, ah. And it's not that he didn't know any. I mean, he just had to think about it. He didn't have a well thought out practice answer for this question because it's not something that we tend to talk about right. a lot. Mm-hmm. So distinguishing between sin and evil, it's a very good question to ask. So we're going to talk in some really broad strokes right now. But I think in simplifying things, I certainly hope to just make it easier for you to get on the boat (laughs) if you've never really been able to think about this before so we're gonna say this evil is anything that distorts or corrupts the will of god okay so evil is more than just satan's work or our sinful choices evil you could say is anything that is in opposition to god's original and perfect intent for his creation so When a natural disaster destroys a city or you get cancer, you could call those things evil. Those are an evil because Mm. they are distorting or destructing something um, away from, further away from God's original created intent for it. Okay. Um, Arthur Cohen, he's a, he did many things, but he he was a Holocaust theologian. He's a Jewish theologian. Um, 
he talks about radical evil interrupting our theological thinking and speaking about God. So essentially just like you can go on this train where you're thinking all these things about God and learning all these things about God, but suddenly you in when you interact with with real evil, it causes us to just sort of stop. We get off the track of it. And, and we have all these questions about God, whether or not he's good. Um, how could this be? How could God allow this to happen? All of those big questions. And so that's that's also really what we were talking about last week and the week before about like you just have to accept that there are constant forces of resistance in the world um, if you're going to follow Jesus. Because as you learn more about God, you have to confront all of these questions. So it's it's this really like understanding how to see the resistance and the evil that's happening right in front of your eyes through the lens of Jesus in particular um, is really going to, like I said, correct your theology, help you understand who God is better. But then also um, it's going to give you some handlebars to hold on to, to actually like embody the life of Jesus beyond just saying good things about God that sound nice you know, that you read in your devotional by your bed. So, all right. That points out when we see evil, we sort of naturally understand that there's something about it that isn't good. So what are your Christian Evil is that which distorts, disrupts God's work in the world. So even people who don't believe in God, you see something that's not good, not right. And there is this thing in us that often will feel just like, that's not okay. And we can't quite put our finger on it. Um, You know, uh, so theologians talk about evil in essentially three planes. So there's natural evil, like, give me tsunamis, some examples. Tsunamis. Tsunamis. Derechos. Yes, derechos. These are just things that happen that are destructive. You know, mm-hmm. they hurt the earth. They hurt people. Um, sickness, disease, all of that stuff. There's individual evil. So that's like people or groups of people okay. doing evil things. And then corporate you know, operation with evil. Enron. Yes. Yeah. Corporate. You took Mm -hmm. that really literally corporate. Yes. (laughs) But yeah. So like the bigger constructions of, of evil. um, Systemic. Yes. I was trying to avoid like the most, like one of the most used words of 2020. Yeah. So everything is systemic. Yes. (laughs) And then there's this other sphere, the evil of dark powers and principalities that, uh, you cannot dispute from beginning to the end of the Bible. It's there. So you're saying there's there's evil on the one side. There's like oh, you, you gave three planes: the mm-hmm. the uh, the natural, the individual, like oh, so natural yeah. tsunamis. Yeah, individuals like a dude, you know, punches somebody, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then corporate would be like the systemic, systemic nature of evil. evil. Yeah, okay. like institutional. And, and then you're distinguishing that from another sphere that is the spiritual evil of Satan. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so all three of those things are at work all the time in our world. They're not all the devil. That's where like we go wrong when we're like, this bad thing happened and the devil had something to do with it. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. he had everything to do with but it. But isn't there a connection between these yes. two spheres? Yes. How do they connect? So they're <laughs> all... <laughs> do you have an answer you want to give? I don't have one. I'm asking. <laughs> Um, I mean, if I was going to say it really simply, I suppose that I would say, um, you know, like as a human being, you are experiencing them Mm -hmm. constantly, um, and that you are created to experience life in the way of Jesus constantly. Um, so, I mean, I was thinking something else entirely than maybe you were, Okay, but 
continue. If you have, if you have something else to say. You no, can. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, like, when Paul talks about principalities and powers mm-hmm. of this world, mm-hmm. um, I've often understood that as a both and kind of thing, where mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's the evil of the Roman Empire, the system, right? Mm-hmm. But behind which lurks this spiritual almost mm-hmm. puppet master yeah um and, or there's like literally like some angels like i gotta let you out of jail and you think you're like making it up but it's mm-hmm. not no it's not a dream ball right you know that's actually happening <laughs> yeah. yeah so there's that you mm-hmm. know realm of things too yeah so anyway yeah just curious about the the connection between these two spheres you're talking about yes yeah. so they're all influencing one another like i and i'll often say like um if you have the flu, it's awfully hard to concentrate on taking the ACT. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So to say that these things are all separate, distinct spheres of evil does not mean that they aren't all constantly um, interacting with one another mm-hmm. and that uh, experiencing evil in one plane is going to go ahead and put you in a place where you might experience it from another one easier. So Mm -hmm. they're all interdependent in some ways as far as like our experiences go. Like Mm -hmm. you just, you can, you can't say like, I feel really sick, but I'm totally able to focus on, on getting my work done because what you're feeling in your body affects you spiritually and emotionally too. Um, And I think you can kind of look at it that way when you're looking at this stuff, like there's stuff that goes wrong in the world. You can bet the enemy is going to try to capitalize on it. It's Mm -hmm. just going to happen. So, yep. so you have um, a weakness in one area. The enemy's gonna yeah. move in. It doesn't mean it's all Satan. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's all your sin, and it doesn't mean it's all just biology. <laughs> right. Yeah. You get sick. It's not necessarily a demon. Yeah. Uh, you find a good parking spot. It's not necessarily God. It's not a God <laughs> thing. It's not necessarily yeah. a God thing. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, exactly. But they all matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say one is significant doesn't mean the others aren't. So um, Dallas Willard will often talk about love. He'll define it as will to good. Like love Mm -hmm. is willing to the good. So we know God is love and God only wills good. So to put it simply evil is at work in anything that God declares not good. That's a really simplified way to look at it. When anything is distorted or corrupted away from God's original intent, it's the result of evil Mm -hmm. from many places. Okay. Um, if you go on to like what Karl Barth would say about what God does in the midst of all of that, <laughs> um, he has these words that I really love. God preserves all of creation. So if you have, we call it like questions of theodicy, mm-hmm. like um, providence, uh, God, how could bad things happen? You know, um, we can have, this is kind of like a raft these words, these three words here are like a raft to stand on when things are really rocky on the water. So God preserves all of creation. He accompanies us in exercising our freedom and he governs over all things as he steadily moves all of creation toward his original goal. So Hmm. we can have a lot of questions about why things are happening and we should ask them. But as we do that, we can remember God is preserving all of creation. It's not just like thrown in the trash. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's, aco- he's yeah. with us. He's with us. Mm-hmm. He accompanies us in exercising our freedom. So he's leading us. Yep. He's with us. We can go with him or not, but he's leading us as we're free to make our choices. And he governs over all things. So ultimately, he is 
it's all in his hands. Right. Like he, this, this ship is going to land in the yeah. port. Like we know where it's going. There might be some wacky stuff that happened on the boat. Yes. But it's going to get where it's going. Boat will, the boat will <laughs> yeah. hit its mark. Yeah. It will. We know that's true. So evil, it has this really strong connotation for us in the English language. You know, when we hear the word evil, mm-hmm. we think of, well, what do you think of? I mean, people think of Hitler. They think of like yeah, horror movies. Or, yeah, I think of like, you know, Hollywood exorcist yeah, movies. Exactly. So you think of evil that way. But um, it helps to get a wider perspective on it. And I think that understanding evil more broadly actually helps us define it much more clearly and handle it. So, I mean, the more broad you get when you start to understand what evil actually is, I think it actually makes it simpler and smaller. So and anything easier. that corrupts or distorts the yeah. will of God is it's what you evil. mean by broadly understanding yes. evil. Yeah. Just yeah. call it all an evil, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Um, so there you go. What's the difference then between sin and evil? Um, there you go. Okay. Cool. So that that's it. So let's see here. I we should like, wrap it up soon. I know. Really, I'm like figuring out. Oh, okay. You got more. We got more to go, but we, we might have, have to so split much it up. more to go. We might have to. We might have to. I'm trying to look over. Let me see here. Okay. <laughs> I had this, I say this a lot. So as we're talking about wrapping up, like the difference between sin and evil, when um, you're looking at uh, like these different spheres of evil and how they all interact with each other and things like that, um, I do often explain it this way that um, when we sin, that is something that we individually are doing. Like sin only applies to image bearers. Mm-hmm. Sin is something that only an image bearer of God can do. Okay. So a dog cannot sin. Yeah. Okay. A dog can't sin. <laughs> but if your dog, as my as my theology professor explained once, when I asked him this question about like the difference between sin and evil, he's like, if your dog chews up your slippers, that's an evil. Mm-hmm. It's just not how it's supposed to be. Right. Your slippers are supposed to be whole. Yeah. You know, but your dog isn't sinning. Right. Essentially. Yeah. So a, a sin is when yeah. an image bearer partners with evil. Yeah. So before we close off, I just want to make that clear. Like sin is something only an image bearer of God can do. That is us as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's both an original state and it's in the choices that we make that, that we do or don't know that we're doing that defy the will of God. That's sin. So Satan is evil and he does evil, but not all things that we define as an evil are attributed to him. So it's kind of like um, these things are all interrelated, but they're not the same things. They're all distinct. So it's kind of like, I would say like sin is evil, but it's not equal to evil. They're two separate things, Mm -hmm. but sin is an evil. So kind of like a square is a rectangle. Sure. But a rectangle isn't a square. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't necessarily a square. Yeah. Yeah. Not all rectangles are squares. Not all rectangles are squares. So is sin evil? Yeah. You could make a Venn diagram. Yes. Is sin evil? Yes. But it's it's also um, two separate But not all evil is sin. Not all evil is sin. So (laughs) that's an easy way to just kind of keep it straight in your mind. There you go. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So what we're understanding here is that the early church... And Christians, the New Testament, like we should have this very clear understanding that yes, Mm -hmm. evil exists. Yes, spiritual warfare exists. That Mm -hmm. there are personal forces at work against us, Mm -hmm. against God's will. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everything that happens that's bad, though, Mm -hmm. is necessarily that. No. 
but you could definitely call it an evil as mm-hmm. in it's something that's not right right something and, that's not and, and so i guess for me like what that opens up for us to recognize is that there's all of these other avenues that humans can fight evil that aren't necessarily like you know just exercising demons it's mm-hmm. it's every time a, a doctor like does a surgery and heals mm-hmm. somebody like that's combating evil mm-hmm. right yep um, i think it's very biblically theologically sound to say mm-hmm. that's true yeah and, and and every time uh i mean anything like you help somebody on the side of the road right like mm-hmm. that's combating evil it's not necessarily spiritual warfare mm-hmm. uh but it's but then again, the in so many ways, because these fears all interrelate with one another, mm-hmm. these things are all happening all at the same time. It's never just one contributor. And mm-hmm. so you can say, I am just fighting evil by making things right in the world. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to ha- to be able to see it that way, I think really helps. So good. that's probably a good place for us to stop for now. And we'll pick it up next week. But before we do that. What you got? We have a few rapid fire questions from podcast land. (laughs) Okay. What do you got? All right. Here's the first one. I haven't thought about these either. Okay. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Hard, hard switch y'all. Hard, hard left. We're going to turn hard into another topic. Now we're going to get serious. (laughs) So (laughs) from the ridiculous to the sublime. Here we go. All right. Top three breakfast foods besides cereal i can't say correctly no brand no hmm. well it's kind well, of more of like a way of life for you than an option for <laughs> breakfast right i mean bacon obviously <laughs> are we are we gonna like each give our three or like do you want to give the second one? Oh, let's do it that way okay let's do it that way Take for less this, time. so you say bacon bacon i say french toast with lemon curd and berries yeah i could totally get behind french toast as well yes Okay, right. you got the last one. Okay, I'm waffles. Oh. <laughs> Those are not my favorite, but Jim really likes them. Waffles are awesome. Okay. Do you put syrup on your waffles? Yeah. Just syrup. That's why waffles exist. Do you put butter on waffles? Yeah. Okay. Butter some, and syrup. Some people... That's why they're squares. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's little, true. Little syrup I feel containers. Like, can I tell you a secret? Okay. The squares stress me out <laughs> because I feel this pull to obey the squares. Yeah. But I also just want to eat my freaking waffle. <laughs> like you want all that you want to. I just want to eat my waffle, like but wanna, then I feel like I need to cut it. Yeah, I was going to say, you, what do you mean by <laughs> obey? It's like you need to get syrup in every square or you need to cut it yes, that along too. the squares. I feel like I can't put butter into some of yeah. the squares without all of the squares getting some butter. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be equal. And I want the syrup to equally travel. And then I feel like I can never get the proportions but right. But if you do it, just think how amazing that would be. Yeah. It'd be a good true. waffle. I'll try that next time. <laughs> like, yeah, waffles are cool. <laughs> okay. All right, next question. Waffles are cool. Next question for podcast land. Tell me a movie that will make me feel better. That'll make you feel better? I would say Stranger Than Fiction. That movie always makes me feel better. Hmm. I don't know if I can answer that. I, I'm so lousy. You don't really go to movies to make you feel better. I'm so bad with... I don't see a lot of movies and... I just am bad at thinking of them on the spot. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Pass. Okay. 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 <laughs> Favorite food from another country? Hmm. Good question. Um, you know, when I was in Israel, I don't know what it's called though, but when I was in Israel, they had really good food. <laughs> ah! 
like the meat and uh, the bread that they made. It was really good. Like their version of like a pita or yeah. a we had a lot or of, something like that. A lot that. of that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't so know what it was. Whatever exactly. their version of it is, mm-hmm. or it's like a flat, delicious, mm-hmm. you know, refined flour yep. treat. Yep. Yeah. It, good it was stuff. good. I mean, good if stuff. you like going to those like Greek restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, was, it was a lot like that. Yeah. Okay. Not exactly. I mean, it wasn't Greek, but uh-huh. similar. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it's not a food, it's a drink, but. Rooibos tea. So the mm. first time I went to Zambia in 2010, I discovered something that has always delighted me since is that in every cafe that you're in, you can get five roses or red tea or bush tea, which mm-hmm. is just rooibos tea. Um, both of those, those two teas are probably my favorite food experience from another country. Oh no. In Poland, there were these amazing pastries that this woman made for us every day at the house I was staying in and yeah, that was good too. But I can't have that now. I can have five roses and yeah. rooibos tea all the time. It's so. true. There's nothing better than a Zambian morning with some rooibos tea. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's a, true. I mean, after I've had my filter coffee, Right. <laughs> but uh, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So anyway, okay. What are you reading right now? Shoot. I got to look at the title. <laughs> what I am I reading right now? What are you reading right now? Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book called Kingdom Ethics. It's by a, there's a Christian ethicist named David Gushy. And um, this is a book he wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a, like Pert Happily from, from <laughs> this is a book Parks and Rec. That he wrote. And what I am doing is Read what it. I am doing right now. <laughs> okay. Super literal. I am just starting An American Childhood by Annie Dillard. That's nice. what I'm starting right My wife's now. reading that book. So, well, yeah, we're both reading it. Oh, is it for... Okay. Yeah. yeah, you guys are reading it together. <laughs> we got a little agreement. <laughs> Going to get cool. to that book first. So, um, all right. Well, I'm not far enough long. into my book to really give you much of a account of it. Yet. I have only downloaded mine from Audible, <laughs> so I have not listened to it at all. So when we say what we're, books we're reading, this very loose. However, if you listen to these book recommendations, I have found that people are like really pumped about them and will tell me later that they're reading something because we mentioned it on the podcast and that makes me really happy because nice. in another life I planned on being a librarian. Mm. Like I legitimately schooled. Yeah. Toward the direction of becoming a librarian. So that'd be sweet. Um, I'm really blessed my cool heart, library. y'all. But I'm going to say if you love these book recommendations, follow us on Goodreads and then tell us to follow you too because I always need to know what to read next and yeah. it's a real burden. I kind of burned out on Goodreads. I haven't done it. You're I not very good. I haven't about kept it. up with it. Yeah. I'm I disciplined. Get about into Goodreads. it again. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's really the difference between you and me. <laughs> that's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would sum up about all of them. Cool. So that's the podcast. Well, uh, yeah, I hope that this was helpful for you. <laughs> and uh, tune in next time. We'll talk more about spiritual warfare, practicing victory. It's going to be great. Bye-bye.